Let's give it up for Taylor Little. Oh, oh boy. My husband is back there already, like, well, there you go. <laughs> Thanks, Christy. That was very kind of you. So I'm really excited for this week. My name is Taylor. Like Christy said, I'm our kids director, um, and I absolutely love my job. I We recently just went on vacation, and we came back, and David said someone had told him. Um, she looked at him, and she said, you realize now you and Taylor can pick up and go wherever you want in the world and be Dave and Taylor there. And David told me that. He's like, we can just move wherever we want. And my reaction literally was, heck no. I just got my dream job, and it took me five years to get here. Ain't no way. No. It was funny in the moment, but I was like, nope, sorry. I'm, I'm good right now. Okay. So this week um, – has been really crazy for me. Every time I preached up here, I normally have like great weeks. I'm a very planned and thought out person. And this week, this message came very hard to me. And um, I just felt the attacks of just Satan. It was a pretty awful week. So I know that I'm supposed to be here and it's going to be something good. I hope so. Um, just, just through God. So let's pray. Jesus, I thank you so much for just Church 214 and all these people that are here this morning, Lord, and just that we can come here and just speak on doubt and what it means to not doubt your word and to not doubt who you are and to not doubt our faith in you, Jesus. And um, I'm just so thankful in just the time that we're in, Lord, that we're able to come to church and just thankful for the country that we live in that we are able to do so, Lord. We thank you. Pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so today I'm going to be talking about one question, and that is, if I believe, if I believe in God, if, if I'm a Christian, um, if I love Jesus, I want to follow him, then why do I doubt? Why do we doubt? And I think it's safe to say that most people have doubted our faith at one point or another. And one of the biggest things that I found that people doubt, or the reason that they doubt their faith, is because they, they think that they're not good enough for heaven. And I'm here to tell you that, honestly, you're not. Like, nothing, we can't, like, we should we don't deserve heaven. That's never something that we could do without Jesus. And you're right, we don't. But the good thing is, is when we get to heaven, we heard this in a, um, a podcast recently. Um, the pastor said this. He said, when you get to heaven, there's not going to be a pop quiz. When you get to heaven, it's not going to be Jesus wanting to know if you know all the books of the Bible. Although I do, because it's a song and it's really cool. But that's not... It's not a pop quiz. It's not a how good you were chart. And if you think that, I'm here to tell you that you are 100% wrong and that the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved, and it's that easy. And here's, the why, here's why I think people fear their faith and fear the concept of eternity, because they know it's coming. And, you know, I sat down with someone this week and just talked about, you know, okay, why do you fear why do you fear this? And that's what it is. It's fear. And it's because we look around in the world that we live in, and it's terrible. And people know that Jesus is coming back someday. The Bible says so. And because they know that, they don't know the specific details. Even Jesus doesn't know when he's coming back, but they fear that because it's unknown. And we look around and we see today, we see ISIS. You turn on the news, you get anxious automatically. You see Christians getting beheaded and martyred. You see what our country is going through right now, voting for president. Hello. Okay. Blood moons. Don't even get me started about those. Okay. Last year, there were like four of them. and People thought the world was going to end. Buying water. It was crazy. Um, 
there's a massive race issue today. We're in the biggest time of slavery, sex slavery. I know that's scary. Earthquakes, people are freaking out about those. But here's, here's the two things that someone said to me, and I thought this was interesting. She said, the fear of not knowing what is going to happen. The fact that there might be a 0.1% chance that because you're doubting your faith, you're going to get left behind and you won't make it. What gets happened? What happens when you, if you get left behind? And because people doubt their faith, it's such a scary thing. And they have all this fear built up because they won't know when Jesus is coming back. And let me tell you this, that if you ever arrive, and Kip kind of spoke on this last week, if you ever arrive at a place that you don't have doubts and you're good and you're just chilling in life, then sit back, relax, crack open a soda because you are in heaven. We're going to have doubts. And all I know that is instead of doubting the things that we don't know, we need to trust in the thing that we do know. And what we do know is that Jesus died for us, he loves us, and that if we confess with our our mouths that Jesus is Lord, then he is our Savior. And the cool thing is that when the disciples asked Jesus, they said, what must we do? Good works. What should we do? And Jesus answered, he said this, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. John chapter 6. I just love that. There's nothing that we could do to earn heaven. And I get that, you know, just thinking, man, you don't deserve heaven. That's a scary thing. And I want to tell you guys a story. And this isn't to lighten the mood because I know that that right there was just like a heavy topic and it's freaky and most people get really anxious. But this is, this is a real, okay, I'm, this is like an embarrassing story. So a few years ago, David and I had just gotten married, maybe married, he already knows what's coming, maybe married for about six months. And one day I thought the rapture actually happened. Okay, so we're going to discuss this. I woke up, I'm not crazy. So someone had came to our house, I won't say who, but someone came to our house and this person was talking about the end of the world and when they talk about it, you get freaked out and you're like, oh, what's going to happen? And I went to bed that night and I woke up the next morning and I remember I was really late for work. And when I woke up, my husband was there in the bed, conked out, he was good to go, and I remember thinking, oh, shoot, I have to get to work, but I need a shower. I took the world's quickest shower, probably, not even kidding you, three minutes, okay? So I shower, I get out, I'm drying my hair, and I walk in the bedroom, and he was gone. But not only was he gone, there was this poof in the sheets, like, where he should be. And I, like, that was my first thought, and it sounds so, so, that wasn't my first thought. My first thought was, okay, maybe he's eating, like, cereal somewhere. So I walk around the house looking for him, looking in the kitchen. He's not anywhere. And then we used to do this thing where we hid from each other. Why? I realize now it sounds very childish, but we did. And I was like, where are you at? You're just joking. And I looked in every room, and he wasn't there. So I legit started to panic, like, freaking out and all I see is just this poof in the sheets and I was like okay my first thought was hello you forgot someone that was and then this is my logic which sounds probably dumb my logic was that okay if the rapture happened he poofs um clearly there's going to be like car accidents plane crashes people screaming outside that was my thing so I ran to the window mind you this is all in the matter of probably 60 seconds I ran to the window and it's just a calm day. And I was like, okay, okay, think, think, think. Okay, um, if he poofed up, he wouldn't be able to bring his iPhone. Okay, so let's go see if his iPhone is there. And I went in the bedroom and his iPhone wasn't there. So I called him and I was like, legit, I was freaking out when I called him. 
And he ended up being in a meeting at our church. We lived at the church house. Um, he was late to a meeting, and I told him that. And he told our pastor and everyone else, and they were dying laughing, and it was so embarrassing. And that was the day that I thought the rapture happened. So that was a fun time. But as funny as it is, I was legitimately for a suck it kind of terrified. And I get that, you know, it's a scary thing. But the thing that we have to remember is that work is hard. And Jesus said believing is not easy. And sometimes it's a task that is honestly not enjoyable. And for me, this past year, I'm going to be real, I have doubted. I have doubted that God could get me through crappy circumstances. And I think sometimes for us, maybe for most of us, it's not that we doubt that God is real. We know that in our hearts. But we doubt that our faith isn't good enough to get us through those hard times. And for me, one of the things that has caused me to doubt, which is funny because this week I'm preaching on doubt and I was doubting preaching on doubt, which God is hilarious apparently because he just works that way. But this week I just sat there and um, in about two weeks is when our baby would have been due. Sorry. (laughs) And <clears throat> that's been, like, really tough. Um, and not only that, along along with that, um, we have the one-year... Oh, man, I gotta get my stuff together. We have the one-year anniversary of when our grandma died, which she was, like, my best friend. So all of this coming up, and just this week, I just felt this heavy weight of, what is this? And I realized that it was doubt. And it was doubt that God could ever take this pain away from my heart. And it was doubt that he could ever get me through this. And me thinking, okay, if I just make it to this day, I'm going to feel better. Or this moment, I'm going to feel better. And I realized, so in these moments, when we feel this way, and this week particularly, when I felt this way, what should we do? So I opened up God's word and found a Bible verse, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. And most of us have heard this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. The first word that stands out is all. Jesus doesn't want something from you. He wants all of you. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Remember that word, circle it, bold it underline it all of your heart second thing is lean not into your own understanding i realize this that in life there's going to be things that you believe and there's going to be things that god says and sometimes the things that you believe don't match up with the things that god says and if you're ever sitting there always go with what god says because you have lied to yourself more often than you would ever believe and some of the things that you could lie to yourself with maybe oh, I'm just going to do this once, even though I know it will lead to temptation. Or one more drink is fine, even though I'm an alcoholic. Or people should know how that person treated me. I'm going to go ahead and gossip about them. Or a recent one for me, a lie that I'm telling myself, is that God is not here in this season with me because why would I feel this way? I'm going with what I think versus what God thinks. 
Lean not unto your own understanding. Next part says, in all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. And I think that's awesome. In all your ways, what is the promise? Submit to him. The promise is that he will make your path straight. And when you are doubting, especially for me this week, things get rocky. It gets curvy. It gets ugly. It gets windy. It's not fun. I have terrible car sickness. I don't like being tossed around. It's not fun. But the one thing that I know about every human being, whether you're a Christian, whether you don't believe in a in Jesus, or you're agnostic, you're atheist, you're Buddhist, I know one thing in life, and that is that everybody wants a straight path. Nobody sits here and says, yeah, let's have a curvy path, because that sounds fun. No. Everybody wants a straight path. So trust in the Lord with all your heart, not in your own understanding. Submit to him, and he will make your path straight. As I'm sitting here, um, as I was sitting here this week, I just thought of the different types types of doubt and why we doubt our faith and what kinds are there. And the first one is this, and I heard it from somebody else and I loved it. We doubt because we have another life. And when we have another life, it becomes easier to doubt our faith because we're living a double life. This is something that, this is what it is. People think that Christianity is a um, get to heaven free ticket. They think that if they show up to church that that's good enough, and that they can go and live a Monday through Saturday life that doesn't match up with their Sunday. And if that's your mindset, then you're going to be living a double life. And when you're living a double life, it's harder to cover up all that other stuff. So you doubt your faith. People are hurting, and they're struggling. They have addictions, and they're not laying out all their cards because they're too afraid that people will see them. And honestly, it's exhausting. The second one, this is my favorite one, people doubt because they think, I can't be more like Jesus. Because being a Christian is all about what? It's Christianity is to become more like Jesus. And I remember when I was in high school, we have a lovely, awesome picture of me. Uh, yeah, that's the, I'm pretty sure I, I legit think that was in the yearbook and I just found that because that's fun. Okay, so we think of to be a Christian, you want to be more like Jesus. We're striving to be like Jesus. That is the hardest thing. Nobody's ever going to be like Jesus. It seems unattainable. And I remember this when I was in high school, middle school, high school, and in college. Uh, I don't know if any of you guys know volleyball, but that's what I did, volleyball and track. And I remember, um, Becca would know, Misty May and Carrie Walsh. And they are two Olympic volleyball players, same volleyball. They got gold in 2004, 2008, and 2012. And I remember being in middle school and looking up to them and I remember then uh, not only volleyball in high school, but then joining another league and traveling because I wanted to be like them. I wanted to be able to play with two people on the court and be awesome and to set and spike and bump all at the same time. And after a while, I realized, you know what? I'm not going to be like them, but I can strive to be like them. The Bible doesn't say that being a Christian is easy. It doesn't say to be a Christian, you have to read your Bible, although you should, because that's that's easy. Honestly, reading your Bible is easy. You open it up and you read it. We have smartphones today that have the app. It's an easy thing. To be a Christian, you don't just have to read your Bible. Or maybe some people think, to be a Christian, I just need to pray. If I'm being real, that's easy too. In a moment of weakness, you can say, Lord, help me. It's easy. But to be a Christian, we have to strive to be like Jesus, and it's not an easy thing. And because I know for me, when I doubt and 
you know, even just this week and man, what would, what would Jesus do? It's a hard thing. And when I was in college, I remember one time when I doubted my faith, I was in college and going through, I think everybody does, what do I want to do with my life? And I was really depressed and um, not honestly wanting to go to church. And my aunt's here today, which is funny. So Aunt Kim and I used to go to Riverside together, another church in Peoria, and we would pick each other up. And I remember one day, um, the night before, I made myself sick, and it was a terrible thing. And I um, was just at a low spot, and I remember saying out loud, um, just asking God if he was real, because why would this happen to me? And I woke up the next morning, and I remember my aunt texting me. I don't know if she knows this. She texted me, and she said, hey, get up. We're going to church. And I told her, no, I don't, I can miss a Sunday. It's okay. She said, no, we're going. And that uh, Sunday, she picked me up. So we went to church, and that day, um, Pastor King spoke on prayer. He said, if anyone needs prayer, you can come up. They had pillows, you can pray, whatever. And I sat there, and, you know, your heart starts racing, and you start sweating, and um, I said, okay, I'm going to go up. And I went up by myself, and I got on my knees, and I told God that if he didn't show up in that exact moment, that I was going to get up and leave. In the same breath that I finished that sentence, somebody tapped me on the shoulder a girl I never knew. And she looked at me, and she said that God showed her what I looked like and that she knew that she came there today for me. And she spat out things that nobody else knew about me. She told me that Jesus is waiting for me with his arms wide open, but I have to be the one to run back to him. And I remember I started sobbing. This week, thinking of that story, I think, you know what? In times that we doubt, God shows up, and he will show up. And the third thing that we doubt, why we doubt our faith in this world, is I think that we are living today without compassion. Instead of having compassion on people, we judge people by their actions, and believe me, I'm learning this. We have concern for them. We say, oh, it's, it's a concern. What are they doing? You shouldn't be doing that. Get to church. And all those things may be right, but we have concern before we have compassion. And Jesus was one of the most compassionate people out there. He loved people. He saw them. Who are the people that you have a hard time loving? Cardinal fans? Sorry, Mom. Ouch. Okay. Okay. Slow drivers in the left-hand lane. Can I get an amen? Guys, my husband could tell you I need, like, rehab sometimes. It's bad. It is. Sometimes I honk my horn a little too much, and I know that's terrible. I know it. That's something I really have a hard time. Or people, here's another one that I thought of. What frustrates me? People in the checkout line at the grocery store that look like they bought the whole store and you're stuck behind them with two items. Frustrates me. Those people are hard to love. What about some more serious ones, though? People that we have concern and we judge them. Right now, Democrats, Republicans, black people, white people, Hispanics, police officers. The people that we look at them or we see it on the news and it freaks us out and we get infuriated, as we should sometimes, but we judge a whole group of people based on the actions of a few The thing is, we have concern for them before we have compassion. It's not just those people. It can be our friends that we judge them. 
We doubt our faith because we look at this world and it scares us. And if we stopped sometimes watching the news and having that anxiety for just a week, we would feel better. Why is it hard to love people today? Because we lack compassion. It can be hard sometimes to doubt your faith when you see the world that we're living in. But if you opened up your eyes for 10 seconds and we saw people with compassion, I think we would see the world completely differently. So I asked someone to come up here today, and I love her. She's one of my favorites. And writing this message, I thought of her the whole time. It's something that um, she's just expressed to me before, that she's doubted her faith, and just the reasons why she's doubted her faith. And I know that God has called her to be up here today, and that um, she's going to share her story, and it's going to be awesome. So my cousin, Haley... Tyke. I almost called her Rakestraw. She's married now. Haley's going to come on up. You guys can give her a round of applause. Come on. Come on. David's, David's cheering for you. Okay. Can we get a mic for her, guys? We can just share this one back and forth. So this is Haley. She is married, and she has an awesome husband. I love your hubby. And she's a daughter, Brooklyn, who's so sweet. And she is a, a baby girl on the way, and I won't say her name because oh, I can Oh, this is exciting. Okay. So she's naming her baby girl Channing, which I think is so, oh, all the girls. Oh, stop it. Okay. So I just love her. So we're just going to, um, she's going to kind of share her story and we're just going to ask um, some questions. So the first question is, um, how long have you known Jesus? We talk um, about this. I, yep. Okay. I accepted uh, Jesus into my heart. Um, miracle camp yes. my sixth grade year miracle camp her sixth grade year and the funny thing is i accepted jesus at miracle camp my eighth grade year which is cool it's a good place yeah we were together okay so one thing i asked for her is to share a little bit of her story of how she came to know jesus and um i just love your story so if you want to share that for a bit I'm just going to read this straight from the you paper so I don't get sidetracked <laughs> and forget some a bunch of stuff. So, like Taylor said, my name is Haley Tig. I'm married to my best friend, and we have one daughter and have another one on the way in September. Um, my journey has been a little more roller coastery than some, so there's lots of ups and downs. I'm just going to stick to the parts that um, have to deal with what we're talking about today. Um, uh, I was raised in a Christian home. Um, I went to church my whole life. Um, I accepted Jesus into my heart when I was in sixth grade. And from there on, God sparked a fire in me. Um, I went home and following months got baptized and really dove into the church. I began to live out loud for Jesus. When I was a sophomore in high school, we decided to really grow our youth group. And we got um, a leadership team. There was eight of us, including Taylor and myself. Um, we were chosen to lead this group of teenagers. Um, we had an amazing group, amazing youth group going. Um, now, I had always hung out with an array of people. I was never one click type girl. I always hung out with everybody. Um, and so with that being said, I had my church friends and my non-church friends, which led to some not so good scenes. I would go to parties but never partake be a DD and just try to be a positive presence in people's lives. 
My friends knew where I stood and for the most part respected it. It led to an amazing witnessing opportunities and I felt that it was genuinely my calling. It was the best of both worlds. No one was feeling judged and I was really able to get in there and be a light while sticking to what I believed. Well, apparently my youth pastor did not agree with my decisions because then I received an email one day basically telling me I was off leadership until I was ready to live appropriately. I was completely shocked, blindsided, and left completely heartbroken. Um, this was a pivotal moment in my life. Uh, the, oh, whoa, okay. This is where uh, I had my first experience with doubt and really began to question everything I believed. What God had spent my whole life building, but specifically the last five years, was now all washed away with one single email. It was an unco I was an uncon uncontrollable fire for Jesus, and it was like Satan had hired the New York Fire Department to put me out, and that they did. I was left as a pile of hot embers ready to ignite again, but not able to. Um, this was also the beginning of a downward, 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 yep. <laughs> uh, long spiral roller coaster that I was talking about I won't get into today but after a few months of trying to mend what was broken um, my leader father my Sunday school teacher mother and I my broken confused 16 year old self made the decision to leave our church my journey of self demise began and I figured if you can't beat them join them I had nothing holding me accountable, no standards to live up to anymore. I still believed and loved God with all my heart, but thought I had failed him. In my head, I thought if my church wasn't, if I had failed my church and they didn't think I was good enough, then God certainly didn't think I was, which it actually wasn't even my church. It was one man. Um, um, and if I wasn't living good enough those last five years, then I didn't know what was. I spent the next five years living in a constant state of doubt and feeling, feeling of inadequacy, which led to a state of constant worry, fear, and unhealthy anxiety, looking constantly for reassurance and security and everything but Jesus. I never stopped believing in God or quit being a Christian, but I did nothing to grow my faith, and rather than facing my demons, just ran from them. Skipping forward a lot of gruesome details, and some time later, I didn't step in foot into church for five years. Five years almost to the day God brought me and my mom back to the church where my heart had been broken. We walked in still broken, knowing I needed more. I couldn't keep living the way I was. God had pointed me back to this place, not sure why, uh, and I'm happy to say that in the next few months, we were completely, he I pretty much completely healed of all the wrong that had been done, and I even received an apology from my pastor. Um, shortly after this, I had Brooklyn, and that's when God really started to work again in my life. Uh, babies come out as living, breathing proof that God and heaven are so real. <laughs> You hold them for the first time and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is real and so incredibly in love with you. Brooklyn has reignited the fire that led me where I am today, and I'm daily fighting to get back the uncontrollable flames I once had, but it's an uphill battle. Constantly fighting the bad traits, fears, and anxieties that I developed in my time distant from him, but I will prevail because I know in the end it'll all be worth it. I love that. I love, love, love that. And Haley just has a story, too. You know, she said she left church for a while, and she began to doubt her faith, and so that's why I asked her to come. So just a few more questions. Okay, 
what makes you doubt your faith sometimes? What is it that, I guess, scares you or gives you that fear? So I put, like, three bullet points down for that. The first one was comparing yourself to others. Like, am I enough? And Taylor touched on a lot of this. Am I enough? Um, we already ask ourselves if we're enough as Christians, and then you see other Christians being so much better than you, tithing more, serving more, praying more. I know I have, like, the dumb anxiety of, like, do I bring him in enough conversations on a daily basis? Um, am I witnessing enough? Um, they say, I hear a lot of people say they hear whispers, and sometimes I get frustrated because I'm like, I don't hear anything. Am I deaf? Does he not talk to me? Like, what's going on? So that's one of mine. Um, Non-believers, and not in the way, not like their doubt, I don't know. As believers, we have our own natural doubts, um, questions that we don't have our answers to and we might not ever have answers to until we get to heaven. And that thought makes us uncomfortable, so I feel like we naturally suppress them, don't think about them. And then when a non-believer brings them up and like kind of throws them in your face, you're like, oh, well, I actually don't really answer that question either. So that makes you question things. And then, um, just like Taylor said, fear of the uh, unknown. Um, not so much God versus no God. Heaven is real, fictitious, but a uh, matter of details and techni- technicalities. There's so many types of uh, Christians. There's Methodist, Baptist, Lutheran, Catherine, Catholic, Apostolic, um, and lots more. And everybody's got different rules and beliefs. And it's like, which set's real, which set's not real? Is he going to judge us on that? Is that that big of a deal? So, yeah, those, those are, are good. Three big things. Okay, so the next question is, whenever you have those, what helps you to not doubt your faith? Um, my biggest one is prayer, obviously. Anytime, any place, over and over and over and over again. I think my husband thinks I'm crazy sometimes. I'll just be like, if I'm having anxiety or freaking out about something, I will like be on my hands and knees just repetitively praying. <laughs> yes. Um, I put in here, uh, if you're having an issue in real life, do you text your best friend, set your phone down, and walk away? No, we continue an ongoing conversation, going back and forth, working together to solve the problem. So that's what I think we should do with Jesus. And then uh, the last one is my family. My husband is constantly talking truth into me and Brooklyn. um, I love seeing her unfailing faith, the way she talks about things. So matter-of-factly, without a single doubt or hesitation, it inspires me to have a more childlike faith and not let the world influence what I know to be true. That's so good. Okay, as we're finishing up, what's, can you pick um, one Bible verse? I asked her to pick one Bible verse that can help us um, just get through our faith when we're doubting. Um, I just always do um, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's my constant go-to. That's good. Thanks for coming up. and sharing your story today. I love you. Good job. I just think that's so cool just to hear from someone who is actually going. I love that she can share her heart and just give us some of the stuff that she goes through. So as we're closing up today, I want to challenge you this. As you as you look around and you look at the world that we live in and maybe that scares you or you don't know what's coming or the fact that you don't deserve heaven is sometimes terrifying. And I want us to start thinking of one thing. If you could leave today, I know I cover a lot. If you could leave today, remember this one thing. 
Jesus died on the cross for you. And I know that's something that people just say all the time, like, oh, he died on the cross for you, and we talk about it at Easter. But today, I'm going to tell you guys the facts of what actually happened to his body when he was on the cross. And I will tell you that I've told our kids these things. And it brings a completely whole new, fresh perspective that Jesus didn't just go on the cross, but there were parts of his body that were mangled. When you're doubting your faith, remember that Jesus' death was the most painful death ever invented by man. It's where the term excruciating came from. It was reserved primarily for the most vicious of male criminals. Jesus was stripped naked. The crucifixion guaranteed a horrific, slow, and painful death. His knees were flexed at 45 degrees. He was forced to bear his weight on the muscle of his thighs, and he began to develop severe cramps. The weight was borne on his feet where the nails were driven through. Within a few minutes placed on the cross, Jesus' shoulders were dislocated. After his shoulders, his elbows and wrists were dislocated. The result, these upper limbs, after they were dislocated, his arms stretched out nine inches longer than what they should have been. Nine inches The forces caused his ribcage to pull up and out in a most unnatural state. His ribs were broken and cracked open for you. In order to breathe out, Jesus had to push up on his feet where the nails were, ouch, in order to breathe. Within minutes of the crucifixion, Jesus severely became shortened of breath. The movements became less frequent as Jesus became more exhausted. The pain from his two shattered median nerves in his wrists exploded with every movement. He was covered in blood and sweat. Because Jesus could not maintain adequate ventilation for his lungs, he now became in a state of hypoventilation, inadequate ventilation. His blood oxygen fell. The twin forces of these, lack of oxygen and too much CO2, caused his heart to beat faster and faster, and he developed a tachycardia, which is when your heart is beating very fast. He had, his heart beat 220 beats per minute. He hadn't drank anything for 15 hours, so that nearly killed him. By noon, his heart began to fail. Jesus was in heart failure. He said, I thirst because his body was crying out for fluids. The Roman soldiers came to expedite his death. They would break his legs. Right before that, at 3 p.m., he said, it is finished. And as they came, not a bone in his body was broken, and the fulfillment of the prophecy came true. So when we doubt our faith, and when we doubt these moments that can sometimes be, for me, excruciating, thinking that my faith can't get me through it, or when we look around in this crappy world and it looks terrifying, remember one thing, and that's that Jesus did this on the cross for you. It is real. His ribs were cracked open for you. He had to breathe just by standing up off of a nail for you we doubt our faith, remember what Jesus did on the cross for you.